0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author Phil Moser. So, we start a new series this morning, and I'm excited to be a part of that with you all. How many of you picked up the study guide when you came in? Can you just hold that up? Okay, so if you just hold it up for a second. If you didn't get one of those, you want to get one of those when you leave. And the reason you want to get that is it's going to tell you who we're studying week to week, and it also has some additional study tools in there for you, so once we capture that particular unlikely hero, it's gonna give you a chance to go home and look a little, dig a little deeper, look a little further into that particular individual. Herbert Lockyer wrote a book a number of years ago entitled um, All the People of the Bible, and when he did that, he recorded that, you ready for this? There are 3,000 different characters in the Bible. Okay. Now, we're only gonna study about 1,500 of those. Okay. So, okay, right. We're gonna study 12 or 13 of those. And what's really beautiful about that pause and study is it allows us to look at the scriptures and see individuals with whom we have some things in common and yet find hope because of how they live their lives. And so that's gonna be a really important study and probably in the end, I'll say this, each week and when the other guys teach one, they'll probably say the same thing no character may be as important in the study as today's character. Okay? And that's because um, we live in a world, and I know this as your pastor, that you live in a world where you've experienced difficulty, abuse, things in your past you probably never told anyone about, um, pain that was caused you, some of that pain was caused you by family members. right? And today's character, is not only one of the first characters in the Bible, but he's the first victim in the Bible. And what we learn from him and how he responds to that is just gonna be a source of great encouragement to you. Okay, So with that in mind, will you stand with me for the reading of the word? I'll be reading from Genesis chapter four, where we are introduced to the character of Abel, our first unlikely hero. The Bible says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Thank you for your respect for the word. You may be seated. I wanna give you a poem this morning to get it started. A poem that is meant for you to remember the life of Abel. And if you uh, know what it's like to be a victim of someone else's sin this morning and you're here, then this poem is also gonna remind you both granting empathy to what you went through as well as giving you hope for what you ought to do. So here's the poem, it's short. Another sin may impact you, but your faithfulness affects others too, okay? Now I left off the red is, r- roses or red, violets or blue portion of that, okay? Um, And if you don't like the poetry, then you'll just have to talk to me later because it's original with me, all right? Another sin may impact you, but your faithfulness affects others too. What we need to understand when we begin to read the Cain and Abel story is that Abel did not do anything to receive what he received. In the truest sense of the word, he was a victim of another's sin, And maybe this answers the question for us. I know there's a deeper theological answer. I'm not tapping on that right now. But when someone says to you, why do bad things happen to good people? This is part of the reason why. Because in Abel's sense, he offered an offering that was acceptable to the Lord. And Hebrews tells us that he was deemed faithful and righteous. His offering was accepted. God took Abel's offering and said, this one is right before me. He's the perfect example of the guy who was a good person that something really bad happened to. Another sin may impact you, but your faithfulness affects others too. So let's just talk about that briefly. Here's another sin. And if, and, 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 and if you have a life of having been a victim, um, I, I hope I'm going to encourage you today that you are not, you are not held captive to what happened to you. Right? And, and Abel's going to reveal that to you. Here's the first thing you need to see. Another sin may mean you're treated unfairly. That's right. Another person's sin may mean that you're treated unfairly. That happens all the time, doesn't it? Someone else says something about you. um, That rumor spreads around your school or your workplace. And all of a sudden, um, you didn't intend for that to happen. But it may mean you're treated unfairly. Maybe you worked a long time at work, maybe you committed your life to one job, to one location, and all of a sudden, when you get to a certain age, other people are passing you by. Other people less qualified than you are passing you by. Maybe you've served in your family, like uh, as a husband or a wife, a very long time, and and you were committed, and all of a sudden, the other person's sin may mean that you're treated unfairly. Now, let me show you that in the text, okay? Because when you first read, (coughs) the Cain and Abel story, we think that Abel is only a victim of Cain, and I think there's something deeper working there. In fact, look with me at at the beginning of verse, at the middle of verse one. Now, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And notice, she names Cain as, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, okay? Um, This is the first thing she utters. Now, i obviously, I'm a man and I never gave birth to a child, but I've been in the room when my wife has given birth to children, okay? And aside from just thanking God in that moment that I was a man, because I'm a wimp, okay? Um, aside from thanking God that I was a man, I did understand that there was significant pain involved in the childbearing, right? that there was nothing we could do to change that. I remember when, um, when, when our first child was born, Kim says to me, um, I, I don't want to get an epidural, so whatever happens, just promise me you won't let me get an epidural, okay? I said, okay, okay, like I'm a naive husband, I don't know what's about to happen, Okay. We drove 45 minutes to the hospital, and uh, she's in labor, and we're driving, and I'm driving. Like it's the coolest thing. You can drive like 85 miles an hour and sing praise choruses at the same time, right? And not feel guilty about it. I'm driving. We get out. I remember this moment explicitly. We get we get down there. We we get out of the car. We're not even at the hospital. She holds my hand and she says, "I think I'm going to need an epidural." Okay. (laughs) And you know what I say? Whatever you need, we're going to get it. Right? Okay. Now. You may think that she cries out, I've gotten a man from the help of the Lord because labor has stopped, right? There's something else working here. In fact, if you had been Eve and you suddenly had been deceived by the serpent and you had taken from the fruit and you had eaten it and you'd given it to your husband and all of a sudden this thing called death is about to happen and you don't know what it looks like, but you know something clearly has changed in your relationship with Eve and Adam. You know that because um, can you just imagine what the next couple decades or hundreds of years were like? Because you see them blame one another as soon as it happens. It's the woman you've given me. That's what Adam says. And it's almost like God said, okay, Eve, you're going to get hundreds and hundreds of years of Adam blaming you for what happened. So when Eve says, I've gotten a man from the help of the Lord, most people think that it's referencing back to this moment. In Genesis three fifteen, 15, uh, we call this the proto-evangelium. It's, uh, it's the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. Here it is in Genesis chapter 3. The Lord said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Notice he doesn't say between you and Adam, which means it's a, foreca- a forecast, essentially, of the fact that Mary, one day as a virgin, will give birth to Jesus, God's son, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." And again, you may remember uh, a head wound is far more serious than a heel wound, but you can see the gospel in it, can't you? That Jesus dying on the cross gains victory over Satan permanently. And Satan attempts to to wound his heel with the spike through his heel. That's the picture, okay? But what many believe, in fact, Martin Luther believed this, was that that, uh, Eve is looking at this passage and not understanding it in time and assumes that Cain is the Messiah, Now, that's important because look at what happens next. Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man from the help of the Lord. That's how she introduces him. Basically, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah, this is Cain, my firstborn, okay? And then the text just seems to add almost casually, like it didn't happen. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Like Cain gets this long definition, and Abel gets the name Abel, which means, by the way, breath, um, vapor, basically nothing. Here is, if you've grown up in a home where there was partiality shown to one or the other, here is the first expression of that first family. And here it is this man is from the Lord. This man, he's a vapor, he's nothing. And I w- want to point out to you that another sin may mean you're treated unfairly. But another sin may harm you or your family, too. And, and that makes it difficult. It's not just you that sometimes another sin harms. It's, it's your family. In fact, it's one thing to have been bullied in school. It's another thing to feel that your children are bullied in school, right? Like, like all of a sudden, sometimes these people's sins not only affect us, but they affect our family, And I find that in in Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, just for a moment, understand this. Abel loses the opportunity to ever father a family, By the way, you can assume that it would have happened, why? Because Abel gives a perfect, he gives a sacrifice that God says, listen, you're faithful, so you'd know that Abel would have obeyed the Lord, probably, and therefore be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Had he been given the chance, he probably would have had offspring and and a family. Sometimes another person's sin harms you or it may harm your family members. And, And when you first read that, you begin to say, okay, that's serious. And that's what it's like to be a victim. Now, for just a moment, know this. I know that when I speak to an audience of this size, that there are those in the room who say, Phil, I I relate to what you say, and I didn't come to church to remember it. I, I like to come to church and sing songs about how great is God because I really don't want to remember what happened to me. And I just want to remind you for a moment, God cares about what happened to you. Because by the time he gets to four individuals in the Bible, Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel, he's already given you an example of a victim. Someone who didn't do anything to deserve what happened to him. He was simply born, mom elevated the one son over him, and then as he lived his life trying to please God, all of a sudden his brother sneaks him into the field and kills him, Our world is filled with those who are victims. Our world is also filled with people who excuse what they do based upon being a victim. Now, this is an important discussion because the next line I give you is how the believer is supposed to respond to their victimhood different than the world in which we live. And here it is. Um, The other thing you need to know about another sin is another sin cannot be the cause of your choice to sin. That's right. Another sin cannot be the cause of your choice to sin. Now, for just a moment, be honest with me, how many, have said, how many of you have said in your life, at some stage, you make me so angry? Can I see your hands? Okay. Thank you for the honest people, all right? The rest of you, we'll talk about deception later, okay? We've all used that statement, and I just want you to think about that statement for a second, you make me. That's you saying that what somebody else did to you is the primary cause of your anger, and that can't be true because, because you're not chained to that person. You're not chained to what that person did to you in your past. Another sin cannot be the cause of your choice of sin, and I'll show you that in, in James chapter four, but before we get there, just look at how God addresses Cain. Verse seven, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain, sin is working in you. It's not about God saying my acceptance of you or your failure. It's about how you're responding to that. In fact, let me show you that over in James chapter four. We were just talking about this in in the men's group Tuesday morning. James chapter four says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you do and ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Here's what happens, when you and I sin, Everything outside of us is a secondary cause. The primary cause exists within us. And God gives you three words to describe it: a passion. It's the Greek word hedonism. It's the it, hedonis. It's the word we get hedonism from. that you and I pursue things that give us pleasure. It's desire. that's the word epithemia. It means that we desire a good, good thing. That's, that's acceptable. But sometimes we desire a bad thing that's not acceptable and you covet, that's a comparison word. It's, a, it's the word for jealousy. It, it's the word that means I saw what somebody else has, and I want it, right? This is the cause of the sin that is within you. And, and it might sound harsh, but it's not intended to, that, because God doesn't intend it to, that for the person who says, I'm a victim, and that's why I do what I do, they have not thought about the issue biblically. I am sorry that you are a victim my heart weeps for you as a victim. And just trust me in this. After three decades of pastoring, my mind is filled with stories of people who've had really, really hard lives. And I feel badly about that. And I hurt for that. And I would never say, just get over it. But I would remind you that what another person has done to you is not the cause of the sins that you commit, You say, well, what in the world am I supposed to do, right? I just started memorizing this passage recently in 1 Peter chapter 2. And whatever your life is, I'd encourage you to just pause and think about this. Uh, Peter writes, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. It's, it's understanding, basically, that you're going to suffer. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The end of that verse is your answer. Okay? You, do not have to, you do not have to take it on for yourself. You can know this, that God ultimately will judge justly. That's how you've got to learn to think about it. Now, for just a moment, let me just pause and uh, come back and explain something real quickly because I want to make sure I'm clear on this. I believe, and I believe the scripture teaches this, that if you have been mistreated, if you have been harmed, if someone committed an act of violence against you, you have every right to legal protection and you should accept it. You should say, I have the right to legal protection and I'm going to pursue it. I believe you have the right, in the way our world plays it out, you have the right to legal representation, too. You have the right to get someone else to be your advocate in that discussion, and that can happen with an attorney or that can happen in an individual challenge when you're facing a conflict with maybe a, a, another believer or a pastor, you have the right to that representation. What you do not have the legal right to, you ready for this, is bitterness. You have the right to legal representation. You have the right to defend yourself, but you do not have the right to remain bitter because Ephesians four says it so clearly, let all bitterness be put away from you. It's, it's the Greek word arrow. It means literally, I'm gonna take this thing and I'm gonna throw it as far away from me as I possibly can. And here's what happens. If you don't entrust yourself to the one who judges justly, then you become the judge in the situation and all of a sudden, that bitterness, and here's the truth, and you know this, you know this, that bitterness begins to reveal itself not only in your relationship with that person, but in your relationship with other people too. It has to because you are choosing to hold on to your bitterness and suddenly you snap at people that didn't even do anything wrong right? because you have held on to your bitterness. now. For just a moment, I'm gonna come back to the end of that poem, but for just a moment, let me unpack sin for you because I have to do that here too, right? So this is kind of like a push and pause. We're gonna go off for five minutes and just talk about sin from this passage. Note this, first of all, sin begins as a private conversation with yourself, but it doesn't stay that way. Sin begins as a private conversation with yourself, but it doesn't stay that way. I've, I've talked to numerous people in my life who come and they're working through or confessing a sin, and every single time, though though they might say, I'm not sure, I never intended to do this, I'm not sure how it happened. Every single time, we together can find a point where they begin to justify what they were about to do. Because when you sin, you have a private conversation going on with yourself. But it won't stay private for long. It starts to show up in other situations. Every time we do every time we commit sin, we have, we've justified it in some way. That's why we're responding in the way we are. And I wanna show you that in Cain's life, here it is. Uh, and the Lord had regard for Cain and his offering, but to Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? And see that big circle there? Right there is Cain's response. Cain doesn't give an answer to the question but I can promise you he's still thinking about it. Cain's got a private conversation going on in his head, which by the way, God would know because God knows all our thoughts, but Cain doesn't say anything about it. If you struggle with a particular besetting sin, the one thing you don't want to do is be silent on it. Because in that private conversation, over and over again in your head, you promise yourself things that won't happen. You say, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. And then you fail over and over again because you have these private conversations in your head. It won't stay there for long, but that's where sin begins. Cain doesn't answer. But we know he's plotting because he literally speaks, and the Hebrew word there means he spoke with intention. It's an imperfect tense. It it means he it's not complete yet. He just didn't say, hey, how are you, Cain, Abel? He said, hey, Abel, let's go into this field. Let's go into this field so I can get a rock, okay? So I can slay you in the field. Cain is still thinking, and that's because sin is a private conversation, but it doesn't stay that way. Here's something else. Sin is patient. It, It is waiting for the right time to ensnare. Sin is patient and is waiting for the right time to ensnare. I remember years ago, I I was teaching on this subject and I found an old National Geographic video where it showed two lions that were sitting outside a pool and they're gonna attack a zebra, right? And they're sitting behind this shrub and they're still, nobody knows they're there. How long they sat there, I have no idea, but they sat and waited and they waited and they waited until all of a sudden one zebra gets his head down and isn't attentive and isn't looking around and you watch these two lions come out in slow motion around the corner and they attack the zebra and then there's a dozen other lions that are feasting on the zebra, okay? I used to show that in church, it's a a little violent, but okay, you get the idea, I'm just telling you about it. But what I want you to see is that the lions were waiting, they were waiting, they were patient, and that's how sin is. And you know that because that's how God instructs Cain. He says, look, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's waiting, Cain, it's waiting, it's waiting. If you choose, God said, to be bitter with me about the fact that I didn't accept your offering, as opposed to go out and give me the right kind of offering, if you choose to be bitter, sin's waiting, sin's waiting, sin's waiting. And I just wanna remind you, Wherever you are in your head game, if you're struggling with the bitterness, if you're hanging on to it, if you're holding on to it, sin's waiting and it'll wait, it'll wait. It'll wait until you're 50, it'll wait until you're 60, it'll wait until you're 70 before it attacks. The point is this, sin is patient. And here's the final one, sin is selfish. Your attitudes and actions are not yours alone, they will impact others. That's the lesson here, right? Cain made choices and it had an impact on others. Whatever you're choosing to say or do, if it's not pleasing to the Lord, here's the thing. Whether attitude or action, it's not a private issue. It has to impact others. That's the world we live in. It has an impact on other people. I want you to note this real quickly. You say, Phil, um, does that mean that something bad that happened to me is a result of my sin? Not necessarily. But when someone says, where was God when I went through that, I would just remind you, sin was the cause in another person's life of what happened to you. And if you say, well, that doesn't explain, there was no sin involved when my son or daughter died, I would remind you in a, in a, in a larger sense, yes, uh, for sin, for death came, the scripture teaches very clearly, by sin. There is sin in the world. There is sin when we are born into the world. And the very nature of that means we die. The timing of that is different. But the point is this, that God is not responsible for that. The sin is responsible for that. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to the poem, and we wanna end on a high note, okay? Another sin may impact you, but your faithfulness affects others too. So just say that little poem with me, all right? Another sin may impact you, but your faithfulness affects others too. Now look at the person next to you and say it, okay? Another sin may impact you, but your faithfulness affects others too. It's a great reminder that when we're sinned against, we can still be faithful in such a way that it has an effect on others. So let's just look at that, here we go. If you want to be faithful, here's what you got to do. Give your best effort to God, don't give your leftovers. Okay? Give your best effort to God, don't give your leftovers. In fact, this is why when you go to school tomorrow, students, you should study hard. This is why when you go to work tomorrow, moms and dads, you should work hard. It isn't about getting the next advancement. It isn't about getting what you're paid for. It's about the fact that this effort is given to God, which is why 1 Corinthians ten thirty one says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the purpose. It's the glory of God. Give your best effort for God and don't give him your leftovers. Let me show you that. By the way, um, Abel's name is quoted four times in the New Testament. Cain's name is quoted three. Every time Abel's name is quoted in the New Testament, it's a a commendation. Abel did this, Abel served, Abel Abel had faith. Every time Cain's name is quoted, it's a condemnation. Cain killed his brother. So when Cain makes this decision way back here, Throughout all of history, he will be known as the man who killed his brother. When Abel makes the decision to give God his best throughout all of history, he is known as the one who gave God his best. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. Now. If you're a theologian, perhaps you've understood that Abel offered a lamb, that is the blood of a lamb, and that's the perfect picture of Christ dying on the cross. And so that's what made Abel's sacrifice more acceptable. Perhaps that is the issue, but I think there's something else here. I think whatever Cain gave from the grain of the field, he didn't give the best. Because the text said that Abel gave from the first, the firstborn or the first fruits. He gave the very first thing that he had, the best that he had, was for God. It never says that of Cain. And the point being, I think, is Cain gave God his leftovers. He didn't stand around and say, "I'm choosing the very best grain I can to give God in a sacrifice." And that's why we say, give your best effort to God, don't give your leftovers. Here's the second idea, to be faithful. Don't compare yourself to others, seek to imitate Christ. Don't compare yourself to others, seek to imitate Christ. For just a moment, know this, that it would appear in the text that Eve compared Cain to Abel. But Abel isn't a victim there. He doesn't say, he he doesn't enter into a victim mindset, right? He doesn't say, well, my mom didn't treat me right, that's the way I am, why I am. Instead, Abel says, I just want to be faithful. I want to give the best offering I can to God. And I want you to see that for a moment. There isn't in Abel a sense of entitlement. There is, however, in Cain, a sense of entitlement. He's not comparing himself to his older brother, who's always introduced everybody as the Messiah. He, 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 He simply says, I just want to be like Christ. Don't compare yourself to others. Seek to imitate Christ. And we find that clear over in Matthew chapter 23. This is one of those references where Jesus speaks of Abel. Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of whom you will kill and crucify and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. In other words, every victim's blood, he's saying to the religious leaders, is gonna fall on you, right? And then look how he starts. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. He says, listen, I'm upholding Abel as the one who did not see himself as a victim, but simply sought not to compare himself to his brother, but simply sought to imitate me. And the text goes on even more in Hebrews chapter 12 to communicate that, look at verse 24. Notice the contrast and the comparison. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, some have understood that that when Abel made his sacrifice and the the lamb burns, bleeds out, there is Abel's sacrifice. I I just want you to see, Abel is doing in advance what we should be doing um, looking back in history. Abel gave the very best that he had, and we should look at the death of Christ and say, I'm giving God the best that I have. I don't wanna compare myself to other people. I wanna seek to imitate Christ. And by the way, that's subtle, I get it. We live in a world where how many likes you get and all that stuff on your social media accounts, that's all about comparing yourself to others. Don't even look there. Just say, does this allow me to imitate Christ? There was a statement. I can remember, I probably need to call her and thank her for this, because this is like, decades ago that I remember the statement that the valedictorian gave in my high school class. Um, Trust me, I was not the valedictorian, okay? I was somewhere down on the other end of the spectrum. But here's the thing. This woman stood up, young woman stood up, and I remember her giving this line. She said, I want my ears to listen for the applause of heaven and not hear the applause of this world. I want to Lord, I want my ears to listen for the applause of heaven. That I am after imitating Christ in such a way that God says you're faithful, regardless of what anybody else says. Do, do you understand? If, if you struggle with feeling like you're a victim, God is simply saying to you today, take a step and be faithful. Trust me um, that you can entrust what happened to you to the judge who judges justly, but where you are today, you're not, you, you don't have to be chained to the experience that happened to you. What you need to do to be faithful is not compare yourself to others, but seek to imitate Christ. And one final one, here it is. By faith do the right thing today, even when you don't feel like it. That's right. By faith do the right thing today, even when you don't feel like it. Now anytime I give that expression, You need to do the right thing, even if you don't feel like it. Basically, someone in the audience is thinking or will say, I'm not gonna do that because I'm not hypocritical, okay? I wanna remind you that hypocrisy is not, it's more than just doing the right thing when you don't feel like it, okay? Here's a great question for you. How many of you have ever gone to work on a day that you didn't feel like it? Can I see your hands? Students, for a second, put your hands down because your parents are all hypocrites, okay? Students, for a moment, just raise your hand. How many of you have gone to school when you didn't feel like it? Can I see your hands? Yeah, that's right. Can I tell you something? That doesn't make us hypocrites. When was the last time, I'll just ask the question, have any of you ever gone to work on a day you didn't feel like it, gave your best, and uh, your boss said to you, I don't want you here anymore because you came even though you didn't feel like it, you're a hypocrite, go home. (laughs) No boss is gonna say that, right? You know why? They might have called you a hypocrite, but but they're not gonna say that you're there even when you don't feel like it because they want you to work, right? The point is this, that by faith, we are to do the right thing today even when we don't feel like it. And, And you see this in the text, right? By faith, Abel, by faith, Abel. Abel did something by faith. He didn't know the result what it would be. He didn't know that God would find his acceptable by experience. He, he knew that God said that, but he, he didn't have it by experience. He exercised this by faith. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I love that. Remember how I said, um, another sin may impact you, but your faithfulness affects others too? Here we are, thousands and thousands of years later, talking about this man who was a victim It took a stand by faith. That's all around us we look I had a chance um, from time to time as a pastor uh, someone will call me and they'll say to me um, Phil um, I've been told basically how much time I have to live I'm on hospice and I'd like to plan my funeral will you come plan it with me okay and I had that experience um, a couple of weeks ago Kim and I were out visiting a woman in our church who called and said um because of the particular terminal disease I have, the doctors have given me about four weeks, okay? And um, I'd like to plan my funeral. And I, I knew this woman to sit in this congregation Sunday after Sunday. I knew her to faithfully come, probably even when she didn't feel like it. I knew her to walk with a cane, because it was challenging and difficult. I had no idea until she began to pour out her story to me the degree of difficulty she had had experienced in life was painful to listen to. And yet she shared it with a smile, right? And I kept thinking like, and she kept saying, but God was faithful, God was faithful. And she poured out deep challenges like that were multi-generational, right? Kim and I left and um, we didn't have a chance to really plan out her funeral, but I said, I'll do that. She called me last week and uh, said, it's getting shorter, can, can you come? And so I did, I sat down with her, and um, when I walked into her home, I just want you to picture this, okay? When I walked into her home, she's sitting in a chair and she's smiling, and she says, uh, I'm having a bit of a struggle, Pastor, because I've been uh, wrapping these gifts Christmas boxes for Samaritan's Purse and um, the wrapping paper tour. Just for a moment, understand, here I am sitting, thinking, you're two weeks from dying. If anybody had a chance, had the right to sit in this room and say, my life's been hard, like I don't care what you say at my funeral, but just tell everybody my life was really hard, okay, instead, her life is faithful, can you just for a moment grasp the reality of that? Here is a woman with just a few weeks left and we haven't even given out Samaritan boxes yet because it's not time but she knows she won't be there for that, she wrapped, packed and wrapped five different boxes. I remember her saying to me, It isn't any, I don't have any Christmas paper, so I wrapped it with stuff that looked like Christmas paper. If you want to gain victory over the things that happened to you in the past, then what you and I need to do is to start to do things by faith, because that faithfulness will affect others. And not only that, it's what begins to provide the healing for you. Will you bow your heads with me? I just wanna take a moment this morning, I know it's a, a lesson that probably touches some of you who have pain in your past for things that happened to you, for things that happened in your family to you, even for violent acts that happened in your family to you. Um, I just wanna remind you, you don't have to be a victim to that. You can have a response that says, I just want to be faithful. So wherever you are today, I just want for just a moment to let God bring to mind the things that have happened to you in your past. So just take that for a moment. And then I want you to just tell the Lord, Lord, in spite of what happened to me, I don't want to be a victim. I want to be faithful. Take a moment and just voice those words to him. because another sin may impact you, but your faithfulness can affect others too. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning to be reminded that though it's thousands of years old, it speaks right to us today, right where we are, right with our challenges, right with our difficulties. And so we find great hope and and we love you because we know that you sent Jesus who would die in our place, And so that forever we could see this incredible example of someone who sacrificed for us, even though he was mistreated, even though he was reviled, even though he was treated poorly, even though he was killed, he still went to the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Help us live as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.